I interviewed Rocky about that time in 84. He was retired. He just wanted to spend time at home with his family and his robot, like a normal guy. From Chicago, this is The Unenthusiastic Critic, a podcast about destroying your marriage one movie at a time. Welcome to The Unenthusiastic Critic. I'm Michael McDonough. I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. With me today is my regular sparring partner, my lovely wife, Nakia, also known as The Unenthusiastic Critic. We should have, like, you know, racist boxing names. I'm sorry, what's a racist boxing name? Italian Stallion. <laughs> what would you like to be? I don't I would have to be Black something, but I don't know what. You could be Milky. <laughs> Milky Mike. Milky, yes! Milky Mike. I think that's perfect. I don't think that's going to look good on the I fight card. I think it's perfect. On today's episode, <laughs> it's the eye of the tiger and the thrill of the fight as we sit down for Nakia's first viewing of 1976's Rocky and 1985's Rocky IV. Nakia, let's just jump into the ring this week. How on earth have you never seen a Rocky movie? That is just un-American. I mean, like all of these, I just have no interest in it. Yeah, I have never really cared for Stallone. I think the only film I have seen him in is Demolition Man. <laughs> <laughs> and that didn't convince you did, to seek out to the seek entire oeuvre? Yeah, no, it did not. Um, so part of it was I have no real interest in Stallone as an actor. And I also kind of hate watching boxing. It's one of those sports I can't watch. Why? Uh, because it's particularly brutal. Okay. Um, and... In the same way with football, I'm just sort of worried about their brains the whole time. I can't even enjoy it because I'm just like, oh, you're going to pay for this one in a few years, pal. And again, it's like, it's that same sort of, you know, American underdog tale, which, you know, that's nice. But I'm not, it's not something I'm going to sit down and watch, really. So we we just recently talked about sports movies, so mm-hmm. we don't we don't really have to have that conversation again. Mm-hmm. We can just take your objections to sports movies on record for mm-hmm. this conversation. Pretty much, yeah. They tend to just follow their, you know, sort of three-act morality plays. Mm. And there is a space for that, and there can be interesting things that people do within that. Like I mentioned when we announced that we were doing this last week, I said that I actually really enjoyed Creed. And Creed is, right. you know, very much that sort of same thing. But I think that they, that Ryan Coogler did interesting things within it. Part of it being reframing that story on a young black man sort of changes some of the dynamics of that. Right. And, and brings some different nuances to it. So... I'm more inclined to see something like that than I am to see something like Rocky. I very much understand that, you know, that character is the sort of quintessential great American hero Mm -hmm. in the way that Bond served as an avatar for the sort of enduring British power. Rocky is the stand-in for, you know, the American dream. All you need is determination. You can do anything. The underdog, the working class Everyone has a champion within Mm -hmm. us, you know, that sort of, which is its own mythology. So I get that, but... I don't know that I need to sit down and watch it. Okay, well, you mentioned Creed, how it sort of flipped the formula and Mm -hmm. had it as a young black man. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about the Great White Hope archetype, Mm -hmm. which is, I think, I think Rocky is probably the most prominent example of that trope, although far from the only one. It's a notion that goes back to 1908, when Jack Johnson became the first black heavyweight champion of the world, Mm -hmm. and... There was this 
pretty explicitly racist call in the press for a white champion to come forward and reclaim the title from the black champion. Right. But this is, I mean, this, so this trope is so prevalent in movies. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a writer at Boxing News, Matthew Bazell. He says, on the Internet Movie Database, it lists the 100 most notable boxing films of which only 18 don't feature a white fighter as the star. (laughs) And the 18 non-white films include uh, Far Eastern movies and documentary features Hmm. about Joe Lewis, Tyson, Muhammad Ali, etc. So he says the three most notable and famous films about black fighters were all biographical. The Great White Hope with James Earl Jones as Jack Johnson, Denzel Washington in Hurricane, And Will Smith in In Ali. Ali. Mm -hmm. In contrast, just about every white actor who has worked in the past hundred years has played a boxer. (laughs) You know, going back to Wallace Beery and guys like that. You got Sylvester Stallone, Robert De Niro, Kirk Douglas, Paul Newman, Anthony Quinn, John Foyt, Willem Dafoe, Daniel Day Lewis, Stacey Keach, Jeff Bridges, Mark Wahlberg, Russell Crowe, Woody Harrelson, Ryan O'Neill, John Favreau, Dennis Quaid, Jake Gyllenhaal, James Franco, and Hilary Swank, to name oh, just a Hillary. few of the white actors who have played boxers. <laughs> so that is, I think, a phenomenon that's probably we're going to talk about as we talk about these movies. Right. I mean, again, and I think that that speaks to sort of the Bond comparison that I was making. It's this idea that you have to create this sort of mythology. Mm -hmm. um, That this idea that the reality of blacks excelling in any arena is somehow an injustice to, you know, what is rightfully owed to, you know, essentially the white man, Mm -hmm. right? Despite the evidence of reality, right, that's what I'm saying. So which like, is what this guy at Boxing News was saying. Is, right, you have the documentaries that show that the actual, you know, titans in that right. field. He was saying, you know, blacks have for, dominated this black sport men. for a century, and yet. But you have to again. We you have to. It's a it's a mythology creating. You have to rewrite that script um, because it, it it's sort of you know writing an injustice. It's just you know yes, this was the reality of what happened, but we can't. That is not the stories that we can tell. Mm-hmm. We must tell the stories of the working class struggling white man going up against some sort of assumedly in, indomitable foe, mm-hmm. you know, black foe usually or. Sometimes a Nazi randomly, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, defeating them for America, right? For the American dream, right? For parentheses, white, America. exactly, because that that picture of you know the boxer draped in the American flag that is a white boxer, mm-hmm. that is not a black boxer. Mm-hmm. But yeah, again, and I think it's it's just a, it's sort of a perfect sort of particularly given the political moment that we're in, where you have. The character of the white working class, and she's the white working class man, and we need more articles about him, and we need to be talking about him, and we need to figure out why he's so right. upset and, and disenchanted right now, and we need to do whatever because we can. he's disenfranchised right. and we disempowered Do whatever and we can, exactly, because we've given everything to immigrants, and we've given everything yeah. to black folks, and we've given everything, you know, so we need to sort of right the ship. And so I think you have, in these sort of fictional spaces, these white working class men they're sort of acting out that reclamation in uh, the boxing arena. Okay, so I'm sure we're going to talk about all of this a lot more after we watch the movie. Mm -hmm. But maybe we can end this particular section with a quote I found from the greatest himself, Muhammad Ali. He said, and I wish I had a Muhammad Ali impersonation. I do not have it. I think it's best that you don't. (laughs) 
Do you? And, and do I have an Ali? No, yeah. I would never. If Billy Crystal can do Ali, I think we should be able to do Ali. I, I would argue that Billy Crystal can't do Ali. So. <laughs> and this is what Ali said. I have been so great in boxing, they had to create an image like Rocky, a white image on the screen, to counteract my image in the ring. America has to have its white images, no matter where it gets them. Jesus, Wonder Woman, Tarzan, and Rocky. <laughs> yep, sounds about right. <laughs> I love that he threw Wonder Woman in there. That's a good one. Yeah, that's, you know, a little gender balance yeah. anyway. The Great White Hope can be male or female. <laughs> You must be out of your goddamn mind. Joe Lewis, the greatest boxer ever lived. I'll be with you boys in a minute. He was bad in Captain Clay. He bad in Sugar Ray. He bad in that. Who that? You, the new boy Ty- got. Mike, Mike Tyson. Ty- looked like a bulldog. He bad in him, too. He done whipped Mike Tyson's ass. He whipped all their asses. What about Rocky Marciano? Oh, there they go. There they go. Every time I start talking about boxing, a white man got to pull Rocky Marciano out their ass. That's the one. That's the one. Rocky Marciano. Rocky Marciano. Let me tell you something wonderful. Rocky Marciano was good. But compared to Joe Lewis, Rocky Marciano ain't shit. He bit Joe Lewis's ass. That's right. He did whoop Joe Lewis's ass. Joe Lewis was 75 years old when he fought. I don't know how old he was, but he got his ass whooped. Joe Lewis had come out of retirement to fight Rocky Marciano. The man was 76 years old. Joe Lewis always lied about his age. He lied about his age all the time. One time, Frank Sinatra comes out here and sat down in this chair. And I said, Frank, you hang out with Joe Lewis. Just between me and you, how old is Joe Lewis? You know what Frank told me? He said, hey, Joe Lewis, 137 years old. 137 years old. Oh, man, you ain't never meet no Frank Sinatra. Fuck you. Fuck you and fuck you. Who's next? Okay, well, I'm sure we're going to be talking about all of that as we watch these two movies, but let's rein it back in a little bit okay. and just, just focus on the films themselves. So what do you actually know about Rocky or the entire Rocky canon? Uh, I know enough. <laughs> so, I mean, again, he is a character that has sort of become a tchotchke of sort of Americana. Um, so there are fragments of the story that, that I'm aware of, you know, again, so you have, it's the working class boxer in the rough streets of Philadelphia and somehow gets his shot at the championship title against Apollo Creed. I know that there is a training montage that involves <laughs> running up the stairs at the Philadelphia Museum of Art and punching meat and <laughs> drinking raw eggs. Uh, I know, Adrian! I know, um, <laughs> That was an amazing impersonation. You just got to pretend that you had a stroke. Um, And I know that he's like, cut my eye at some point because his (laughs) eye is like swollen shut. And so he needs his eye cut open. Um, Where do you know all this from? I mean, it's all like, it's just in the air. It's it's like particulates in the air. You can't. Go through life not picking up those things. And That's why we call this section cultural osmosis. Exactly. It's, you just, it's just, you just sort of these absorb things. these little bits and pieces. So that's why I feel like I've sort of seen it, really. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I know the very famous song, Gonna Fly Now, mm-hmm. partially because we played it in band class. Um, <laughs> so I know how to play Gonna Fly. Well, I did know how to play Gonna Fly Now on the flute and clarinet. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I want to hear your flute solo on Gonna Fly Now. I wouldn't now. even, yeah, I doubt it's like riding a bicycle where I would just be able to sort of get right into it. And I was I was not, you know, first chair or anything. <laughs> um, yeah, so I know that. And then throughout the rest of this sort of however many films there are, I know little bits. Like I know that Mr. T is in one of them. 
Mm-hmm. I know that James Brown sings Living in America in one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I know from the fourth one, Drago. And that's about all my Rocky knowledge. Okay. Well, that's a lot oh, of Rocky knowledge. and the robot. Happy birthday, oh, God, Polly. the robot. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I know. And that you know from Family Guy. And that I know, I know because know it family was did that. Family. They did mm-hmm. a little happy birthday, Polly, like, yeah. thing. So, yeah. It's no less weird in context than <laughs> Which it is, is. I mean, that would be my question. It's like, why the fuck does he have a talking yeah, robot? It, it's, we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> that may be the reason I chose Rocky IV. <laughs> so, okay, so let's talk about watching these two movies. Okay. I mean, the ideal thing would have been to sit down and watch at least the first four movies. I was not going to do that. If not all six. I was not going to do that. I know. I don't love you that much. <laughs> no one has ever loved anyone that much. <laughs> Uh, so I chose Rocky for obvious reasons. It's the original. It is easily, I think, the best of the Rocky movies. Mm -hmm. I think it may turn out to be a better movie than you're expecting it to be. And we'll talk about it afterwards. I don't want to get into a lot of that up front. And then I wanted to pick one that was sort of emblematic of what the franchise became. Right. And Rocky IV is really (laughs) the best Example, it was actually the most financially successful of any of the Rocky movies, Mm -hmm. but it is also just in terms of, you know, something that starts off as one thing and then becomes a caricature of itself. That's kind of what, to me, Rocky, and I I have not seen Rocky IV since it came out. (laughs) Maybe it's better than I'm remembering it. I doubt it very much. You know, I, I think it will be fun. To watch Rocky IV with you, but I'm not making a lot of claims for its artistic merit. Okay. So let's let's talk about the first film a little bit, a little background. It was directed by John Alvidson, who had previously done Save the Tiger with Jack Lemmon. He went on after the Rocky movies to do the first three Karate Kid movies, which is a very similar right, vein. story, yeah. Uh, he directed Lean on Me. Oh! Now, don't make that sound for that movie. <laughs> It's a horrible movie about a horrible man, and we're not going to talk about it. He saved those kids' lives. <laughs> and then Alvinson also returned for Rocky V. He directed Rocky V, which was neither a good movie nor a hit. But Rocky, written by Sylvester Stallone... I did not know he wrote it. ...received 10 Oscar nominations. Seriously? Yeah. It won Best Director for Alvinson, it won for Editing, and it won Best Picture, beating... All the President's Men, Network, Bound for Glory, and Taxi Driver. The Great White Hope is a powerful narrative. (laughs) It really is. You'd be amazed. I think it came as a surprise to pretty much everyone concerned that Rocky beat all of those movies for I did not know he wrote it. I have to give him more credit now. Okay, so let's talk about that. So yes, Stallone had, he had made a few movies, mostly small parts. Didn't he do porn? He did do one softcore porno which, whatever its original title, was later retitled and re-released as The Italian Stallion. That's just good marketing. (laughs) I mean, you gotta do that. He was also apparently in an erotic off-Broadway play around this time. Um, But yes, he had written the screenplay for Rocky. He was flat broke. If legend is to be believed, he had about $100 in the bank. He had actually sold his dog. I didn't know. Okay. (laughs) That is down on your luck when you have to sell your dog. That's pretty fucked up. (laughs) And 
he was offered $350,000 for this screenplay, but they didn't want him to star in it. Understandable. Uh, the studios wanted, they wanted Robert Redford or Burt Reynolds or Ryan O'Neill or <laughs> Warren <Reynolds>. Beatty. <laughs> James Caan was talked about. They wanted pretty much anybody but They wanted guy. a name, yeah. Right. And he refused to sell it unless he, unless he could star in it. Admirable, considered you've sold your dog. Because so <laughs> I might have been like, okay, here you go. So he, he was able to buy the dog back later. Oh, good. Okay. Yes. Happy ending all <laughs> Happy around. Happy ending there. <laughs> that could be a nice little movie in and of itself right there. <laughs> I bought my dog back. Uh, yeah, so finally the studio agreed. They um, Since Stallone was starring, they cut the budget from, yeah, I think originally they estimated $3 million, They cut it down to $1 million. So good. So, well, yeah, but less probably than they needed. So the film was shot in 28 days. A lot of it, we can talk about the scenes in the film, was like guerrilla filming, mm-hmm. where they didn't really have permits or anything. They were just filming through Philadelphia. And it obviously went on to become a sleeper hit. It, the film went on to make $117 million, and it launched this franchise that has made over $1.4 billion worldwide. Wow. So not bad for a guy who had to sell his dog. Uh, I will leave you with this advice. This is A.D. Murphy in Variety from his review of Rocky in 1976. It has advice? Yes, oh, advice. The best way to enjoy Rocky is not to examine it too carefully. That's better. Not... <laughs> better simply to relax and roll with the Walter Mitty, Cinderella, or what have you notion that the least of us still stands a chance of making it big. No, I don't. That makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't like rolling with it. <laughs> I'm not a fan of. That's probably asking too much from yeah, you to really just roll is. with something. Yeah, I'm not gonna roll with it. His name is Sylvester Stallone. He's the star of a new film called Rocky. He's been described as tough, handsome, talented, sexy, sensitive, dynamic, brilliant. He's been compared to Nicholson, De Niro, and Brando, but he is Rocky. He's the man who could be loved by only one woman because somehow she gets beneath the pain. He's every nobody who ever needed somebody. Rocky, do you believe that America is the land of opportunity? Yeah. I'll break both your arms so they don't work for you. He's every man who ever settled for something less. What about my pride, Nick? At least you have pride. I ain't had no pride, I ain't enough. How many get that? How many get that? Terrific. I mean, you could be a heartbreak. You walk down the street breaking hearts the way you look. Very shy. He's the man who never had a chance until now. Rocky. His whole life was a million to one shot. His name is Sylvester Stallone, but you will always remember him as Rocky. Okay, during the break, Nakia and I watched Rocky. Nakia, I'm curious to hear whether it was what you expected. Um, I think it was less corny than I was expecting. Um, it had a slightly more indie film mm-hmm. vibe than I was expecting. Um, but otherwise, it was pretty much what I knew. So, 
So you, when the movie finished, you said something like, yep, I pretty much knew all of that. Yes. Except for, I mean, the big thing is that he does not defeat Creed, uh, I think is the only thing I didn't know, or maybe I didn't know and had forgotten. Mm -hmm. Um, But otherwise, pretty much knew. I didn't know that Kali was a drunk and abusive brother. But yeah, that's pretty much how I expected it to go. I mean, it is kind of a dark, gritty little film. it is. There's some ugly stuff in it. Yeah. And this is why I do think it's interesting to look at the range of the franchise that we're looking at. Mm -hmm. Because this does have one foot in that new Hollywood era that we've talked about before. That Mm -hmm. sort of, that indie spirit, that kind of gritty realism. Right. Yeah, and I mean, I think that there were um, a couple moments as far as the acting goes that I thought was interesting. I thought... uh, is it Talia? Talia Shire. Shire. Yeah. I thought she was really good, actually. Yeah, she's I liked great. her a lot, particularly um, that scene where they're at the skating rink. Mm-hmm. And then the subsequent scene back at his apartment, which I think she played. It could have been a very kind of creepy, disturbing scene. It could have scene. been a very creepy scene. <laughs> and I think she played it really well, actually. Um, I thought she was very affecting for a character that doesn't actually have a lot to do. Right. But be the girlfriend. And then I thought that. Uh, Mickey, his scene um, when he's at Rocky's apartment asking to act as his manager. Right, basically begging to right. to be involved in this. And, and there's a moment when Rocky goes into the bathroom and Mickey is sort of defeated and just sort of leaning against the bathroom door and he's he just sort of whispers, I'm 76 years yeah. old. And it's just like... <laughs> This, like, this is can it. You, can you do a Burgess Meredith impersonation? I cannot. I can, but I'm glad I'm you... 76 <laughs> years old. He's like Popeye's father after too many pipes <laughs> and like melanoma or something. He's very grizzled. I thought that was a really powerful scene. And then as far as Sylvester Stallone, again, it's hard to sort of separate that character from who he is. He seems to be whenever I've seen him sort of in interviews and in person. Yeah. So I don't know how much... But I will say that he was good at that sort of kinetic energy that boxers have and that they can't be still. Like, they're always in motion. They're sort right. of always moving and fiddling and doing with something. And it, and that can either go too far where it seems affected. Right. It's like you're sort of trying to do Brando or something. Or it could be more naturalistic. I, I think it was... I think he was okay. Like, it didn't cross the line. The, the reviews came from both sides mm-hmm. on that issue. There were people that were like, oh my God, this guy is the new Brando. I wouldn't go that far. You know, he's <laughs> a power to watch. Right. And then there was uh, Vincent Canby in the New York Times, who was not a fan of the movie particularly, mm-hmm. called it a sentimental little slum movie. Oh, wow. That's harsh. Uh, but he said, the problem, I think, comes back to Mr. Stallone. Mr. Stallone's Rocky is less a performance than an impersonation. It's all superficial mannerisms and movements. Mm. Reminding me of Rodney Dangerfield doing a nightclub monologue. Wow. (laughs) Throughout the movie, we are asked to believe that his Rocky is compassionate, interesting, even heroic. Though the character we see is simply an unconvincing actor imitating a lug. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I do think you could read it depending on, I think you could read it both ways of just like, I see you doing the work Mm -hmm. or it could be maybe this is him actually, and it is a really naturalistic performance and it's just so good that it seems like he's working. I I mean, yeah, I think it works. Yeah, yeah, I didn't, it didn't bother me. And I think particularly as his first Mm -hmm. major performance. It was very effective. Yeah. I think, like you said, as we've seen Stallone do the Stallone thing over right. the years, it becomes less effective and becomes a caricature of right. itself after right. a while. Right. 
All right, well, let's talk about the story. So we have this guy starting out. Right, so we open with a shot of Jesus. Uh... <laughs> I had forgotten that was the first shot of the movie. Uh, a sort of uh, freeze of Jesus, sort of blessing the boxing ring below. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we pan out to Rocky fighting some kid. Spider Rico. Spider, yes, Spider Rico in some sort of underground. No, definitely not a very right. It's not sanctioned boxing happening right now. This is, you know. It's basically the human equivalent of a cockfight. Right, it's money boxing. Um, so that's So that sort of gives us the idea of, you know who Rocky is and, and sort of his status right, in the world. Right, where he's starting from. Right. He he wins the fight. He does, though no punches pole. hit anyone. <laughs> okay, well, we can talk about the fight choreography. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, he does win the fight against Spider Rico. Uh, but his take from that fight, I believe, is $44. Yeah, once he pays for, like, locker once, and towel. Yeah, they charge him for locker fees <laughs> and towel rental and all that shit. Yes. And then Spider Rico had his head beaten in, takes $17.50 home from that fight. Yes. So. It's not a great way to make a living. You know, no. It's enough to buy turtle food, I guess. <laughs> so he has to supplement his income. By breaking fingers for a loan shark. <laughs> a loan shark with asthma, which was a weird little character moment. Apparently that was the actor, ah. and they left it in. <laughs> There's a lot of that kind of stuff in this movie that was just happy accidents like that. We'll go, we'll go over some more as we go. But I love his little speech where he's like, I told you to break that guy's thumbs, and you didn't break his thumbs. It's bad for my reputation. Sucks from the inhaler. And I'm like, actually, the inhaler's probably bad for your reputation. That's not, this doesn't strike fear in your opponents. But okay. I was like, did he just huff from an inhaler? Okay. But yes, but he is the, he is the lone shark muscle who doesn't break thumbs because he feels He's a leg breaker with a heart of gold. For the guy, you know. Yeah. So that's, that lets us know that he's a good person. (laughs) And apparently well-read, since he has a fish named Moby Dick. Yeah, but he also has turtles named Cuff and Link. I, so. yeah, I, don't, yeah, I, don't <laughs> I don't think Rocky's read Moby Dick. It's a great white whale, though, for the great white hope. Oh, very nicely done. Thank you. You proud of that? I am. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we also find out that he stalks Tally Shire. Wet stock is a. He shows up at her job and tells bad jokes. He stops by and flirts with her at her job politely. She's not responsive. That's stalking. You're he's stalking. Interested in? He, he's stalking. He's expressing interest in. He's he's taking advantage of the fact that she can't leave that space. She has to stay there. I think for this movie to work at all, we have to believe this. We romance. have to believe that that Adrian. <laughs> Is just painfully shy, as they discuss later in the movie, uh-huh. but that she is interested in Rocky. Because, uh-huh. yeah, that, that whole relationship could go really wrong. Yeah. There's the line in High Fidelity. Uh, it's when John Cusack is leaving Lily Taylor's character. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I could have had sex back there. Oh, yeah. And he said, but it would have been like sleeping with Adrian and Rocky if you weren't Rocky. <laughs> like, that's a very potentially creepy relationship yeah that we have to you know buy into i was a little uncomfortable with the scene back at the apartment because he <laughs> yeah. kept sort of advancing on her yeah and he's she's like kind of blocking her out the door, from the door and, like, and you bring her back to your I are, are you about to make some sort of comment about his his uh <laughs> decor 
your, you know, apartment. His romantic love nest. And there's a, like, ripped up, soiled mattress <laughs> propped up against the wall with a knife stuck in well, it. Well, that's his, that's his box, his boxing bag, his heavy bag. He doesn't. Why is there a knife? He's so poor he can't afford a real heavy bag. So that's but, his... it, but you see how that would make a child a girl nervous? <laughs> you walk in and you see that and you're just like, Yeah, I'm gonna keep my coat on. That's okay. <laughs> Thanks. But no. But they end up making out. Do you want to sit down on the couch with the newspapers and beer cans? Right. And... That he doesn't move off the couch, he just sort of shoves <laughs> just down. Pushes him aside. Right. Yeah. I, I just yeah, that doesn't mm-hmm. make me want to get it on with you. But okay. <laughs> Apparently it works for her, and he goes up to her, so he corners her while she's going for the door. Yeah. And takes off her glasses, mm-hmm. which, as a glasses wearer, I hate this trope. Yes. So much. Yeah. It's the, oh, take off your glasses, you're so now pretty. you're beautiful. Really? You couldn't yeah. see that with mm-hmm. these glasses these glasses on my face? You couldn't see that I was attractive? But now, this changes everything because your glasses are off. <laughs> now I can make out with you, but you don't have to make out with me. But I'm definitely going to make out with you. <laughs> You're just putting a creepy spin on everything here. it's a here. little creepy, though. It's a little creepy. One of the great cinematic love stories. I liked it better when he was just, like, being awkward at the ice skating rink. <laughs> that is another scene that apparently was a happy accident because it was originally written to have, like, 300 extras. It was originally supposed oh, to be a crowded like a, yeah. scene. And I don't know if they either couldn't afford the extras <laughs> or the extras didn't show up or something. Or they just broke into a skating so rink and was like, let's was just film just, here. <laughs> so it was just them in the empty it was skating cute. rink. That scene was cute. That scene I buy as, like, this sort of cute romance between the awkward girl and... The, mm-hmm. the meathead sort of thing. <laughs> it was back at the apartment where I was like, mm, nope, now, now I'm off. Now, now, now I'm done. And she never wore her glasses again after that, so apparently. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. All you need is she a She definitely man. started dressing better. She definitely she started, started wearing snatching the waist. And, yeah, yeah. She was, yeah mm-hmm. it was all, yeah. So There's a of... scene where she shows up in a red coat with, like, fur trims. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> all it takes is a little Italian stallion loving, and you too can blossom into the woman you're meant to be. You're so cynical. Am I? Yeah, a little bit. Okay. <laughs> I've seen lots of romantic comedies. What's that terrible one? It's with Freddie Prinze Jr., where he makes over, like, the quote-unquote geeky girl, and she literally is, she has glasses on and a <laughs> ponytail. And so you take those two things away and put her in a dress, and it's yeah. like, oh my god, she's so hot, I didn't realize she was... She, she like... <laughs> Please don't do this. It's such a ridiculous trope. I hate it so much. All right. Well, let's talk about the actual boxing story. Okay. So uh, what do you make of Apollo Creed? Well, he's obviously supposed to be some sort of stand-in for Ali. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, this entire story was inspired by um, a boxer, a white boxer named Chuck Wepner, who almost went the distance with Ali mm. and was not supposed to do so, obviously. Right. But he, I think Ali knocked him out like 15 seconds before the final bell, but basically he went the distance with Ali and in fact knocked Ali down, which nobody had ever done before. Right. Ali later claimed that he wasn't knocked down, that the guy had been standing on his foot and knocked him down. So, but basically, yes, that was the, the inspiration for this story. Nice. Yeah, I mean, he's Apollo Creed's an interesting character. So this movie's doing some interesting things, I think, with race. Apollo Creed being um, obviously a big part of that, especially if we see Apollo Creed as sort of stand-in for Ali. Mm-hmm. So Apollo, you know, in various news clips and things, and even from things that um, Rocky says, we understand him to be very well deserving the sort of title of champion. He's obviously very skilled, so there's Mm -hmm. no question about that. And then uh, in the scene where they realize that whoever the 
contender was supposed to be initially. Right, the guy he was supposed to fight on New Year's Day dropped out. Then we, you know, he's the one that comes up with the idea of, okay, well, let's do this sort of, Mm -hmm. you know, great American fight thing where we pick an unknown to have a shot at the title because it's the great American dream and, you know, it's the bicentennial. So we see him being a very savvy and cunning business person. Right. He's the one that chooses Rocky because of the name Italian Stallion. So he sees sort of the marketing potential. Right. He says the media will love it. So, you know, we see him as in these very sort of, elite spaces, elite business spaces. So he isn't just the sort of, you know... Right. He's not a dumb lot. Right, he's, he's not a not dumb... Right. Which, you know... He seems to be in charge of his own brand. Exactly. And, it's, and sort of understands the narrative around race, mm-hmm. particularly when it comes to boxing. Right. And he, he says, do you believe America is the land of opportunity? Right, exactly. The promoter says, it's very American. And Apollo says, no, no, it's very smart. Right. So understanding to how to sort of exploit Mm-hmm. That sort of um, story, again, that sort of sort of morality tale. There's also the later scene, talking about him being business savvy and everything, there's mm-hmm. the later scene, it's when Rocky is punching meat in the meat locker on TV, mm-hmm. and Apollo isn't paying attention to that, because he's talking about, like, media business, buys right. and tax exemptions right. and all of this stuff. Right. He's, you know. Which is the other side of that coin, right? That coin of like, so you have this sort of positive look at what a black athlete, a, a sort of elite black athlete, mm-hmm. can be. But at the same time, the flip side of that is that there's also this level of spectacle to him right. and arrogance and entitlement. And while Rocky is, you know, working class training in the meat locker, and I was, exactly. just, you know, uh, you know, Apollo was in the office with a suit, not really taking the job seriously right. in that way. So there's this sort of other side to it of um, he's not doing the work. Right. He's sort of soft and privileged. Right. During the fight, one of his trainers said to him of Rocky saying, he doesn't know this is a show. He thinks this Mm -hmm. is a fight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting how um, Apollo sort of plays with ideas of Americanism and the meritocracy. So at the press conference saying things like, you know, American history proves everybody has a chance to win. Which right. is just not true. <laughs> like <Right. it's> just, <laughs> just false. Um, so he has that. He knows how to sort of play on those ideas of Americanism. You know, the main fight when he comes into the arena, dresses George Washington. Yeah. And then changes into the um, Uncle Sam outfit. Yeah. Sort of like wearing these sort of markers of America white America right. and putting it on a black body and how sort of transgressive that is, yeah. I think is really interesting. And I would need sort of more time to sort of think through it. But so that seems into this idea that there is this black character that is sort of trafficking in symbolism that has very much been identified with white America mm-hmm. as the foe, as the opponent. Right. And then you have, you know, the white Italian working class boxer who is our hero, right? And so we're supposed to be rooting for Rocky against mm-hmm. this sort of establishment persona. Right. And so then it's got me to think, and I'm probably thinking way too much about this movie, right? <laughs> so, okay, so you then have this, like, very Monopoly-looking white promoter who is working with Apollo. Yeah. So then it gets into conversations of, white elite wealthy white people acting as puppet master Mm -hmm. of working class whites 
and pitting them against people of color, specifically black people. And you do that by making it seem as though you're giving black people more than what they deserve, more than what you were entitled to, black people are now getting. Like, <laughs> I am now taking from you and I'm giving to this black okay. person because, you know, whatever. And so what happens is the working class white is then resentful against the black person and not resentful against the wealthy white person who's actually the person like doing all the sort of moving on the chess right. pieces, right? Um, and so again, like I'm way thinking yeah. about this way too much. <laughs> but it's just like so I, I, but I think there's like a, a lot of interesting stuff going on because it is as much as Apollo seems to be have agency over his own image and agency over his own over his own career. It is the white promoters mm-hmm. that are really making the money and are profiting off of the bodies of both black and white. Right. So then that becomes interesting. So how does this play into the whole great white hope narrative? Well, that's the thing. Well, because you need a great, the reason people need a great white hope is because they feel that they have somehow been slighted. So if we take it to, you know, working class white people feeling that 1976, we are coming out of Vietnam, unemployment is insane, you know, the economies of the toilet. The quote unquote American dream, you were promised the house and the wife and the kids. It's not happening. Mm-hmm. So everybody is sort of waking up to that realization. Well, white people are just waking up to that realization. <laughs> so you're pissed off. So you need a story. You need a narrative that sort of writes what you see to be a wrong. You need this working class hero to come in and defeat this establishment figure to feel good about yourself, to sort of feel like the world makes sense again. Who represents the loss of privilege. Right, because he's the one that has the wealth. He's the one that has the power. He's the one that has the authority. These are all things that you were told that you were going to get. Right. And you did not. And I think another place where you see this is towards the beginning of the film when Rocky goes to the gym. Yes. And he tries to open his locker. Yeah. And he realizes that the lock has been changed. He breaks the lock, opens it, and there's, like, pictures of black women. <laughs> right. And just ridiculous, just ostentatious nonsense. That and he's it, like, where's my shit? Where's my shit? Whose shit is this? And the guy says, oh, well, you know, it's this boxer's locker. And we obviously infer that that boxer's black. Yeah. And he, and your stuff has been put in the bag and hung up. So he, and so... Rocky's, hung up on Skid Row right, exactly. is what Rocky's, they call that wall. I've been in this locker for six years and now my stuff is hung up on Skid Row. So that if that is not working class white man. Yeah. I've had this job for six years, and they yeah. fired me so they could affirmative action some black dude into my job. <laughs> like that's what this movie is. <laughs> like, it's, just like, it's just, but it's, but it's fucking clever though because you never hear Rocky say anything racist. You never hear him talk. No, the only you, the bartender, the bartender does call him a clown. The film who right. does calls him a jig, jig clown. clown. Right, but Rocky's always very respectful yeah. and very like no, he's a wonderful man he's a great you know he's a champion i totally respect what he does he's friendly with the black people that are at At the the boxing boxing club club. so it's this sort of very like subtle dog whistles like and it's like that scene in the locker room i mean if that isn't the fucking (laughs) mission statement of the displaced white man (laughs) i've been here for six years and now i'm on skid row because some black dude took my shit (laughs) okay (laughs) and the thing about creed is with him being this sort of stand-in for Ali and being this sort of very showy, ostentatious, entitled persona. Right, that part is clearly Ali. That part is clearly but. Ali, but is not all of who Ali was. Right. Particularly, we're coming, again, we're coming out of Vietnam. Yeah. Ali was a conscientious, conscientious objector. Yeah. And he was basically like, I'm, you know, they aren't lynching me. They aren't calling me the N-word. Right. All that stuff is happening at home. 
Why would I go fight your war against other brown people? Ali was not a comforting black celebrity for white people. So, yes, he he did rhyme. He talked shit and all this other stuff. Yes, he did. But he was also a very militant presence. So so they've basically taken Ali. They've neutered that part. They've taken the stuff they liked about Ali and turned him into this. Well, they took the stuff about him that it would be easier to make him into a caricature that you would root against. It's, It's an easier narrative versus the real Ali where that is a story of advocacy. That is a story of struggle. That is a story that reckons with, forces you to reckon with how black people got to where they were at that point. Like, that's a harder story to tell. Right. Because then you have to be honest with what your history is. And then you have to be honest with the fact that they don't have shit. We still don't have shit, really. Like, you still very much are in the position of privilege, not the black person. So I just thought that was, so yeah, I just, there's some, there's some interesting race shit going on with this movie. I found a quote. Okay. Because I remember something about Ali talking about America, and I thought that it was actually sort of fit perfectly. Apparently, um, he once said, I am America. I am the part you won't recognize, but get used to me. Black, confident, cocky, my name, not yours. My religion, not yours. My goals, my own. Get used to me. Mm. So that, like, that's Ali. Yeah. And then you make him Creed. I sort of wish we were watching all four movies now. No. Because <laughs> no. I think tracing the Apollo Creed arc through all of these, you'll, you'll, you'll see some of it. Okay. When we do Rocky Four. Okay. But I think now I want to think about his entire arc through this lens. They haven't all been black opponents, so have they? There was Mr. T. Right. I don't know who the other ones were. Um, and we'll we'll go over this before we watch the fourth one. But the second one is a rematch with Apollo Creed. Okay. thought they said there would be no rematch. Yeah, they did say that <laughs> at the end of this movie. Okay. They didn't know it was going to be a franchise yet. <laughs> But then, so what happens in the rematch is, as far as this whole narrative goes, the only thing wrong with it is that Rocky didn't win the fight. Right. So, in the second movie... Rocky has to win the fight. Rocky has to win the fight. Mm-hmm. And he wins the fight... All right, I guess we'll do this now. <laughs> okay. So, Rocky two. Uh, Rocky has basically retired from boxing. He's proven what he needs to prove. But Creed is obsessed with the fact that people are saying, Rocky really won that fight. Right. So Creed is the one demanding a rematch to prove that he's the better mm-hmm. boxer in the second one. And he basically goads Rocky to come fight him again. Right. And I haven't, I had to go back and read synopses and stuff because I haven't seen Rocky too, probably since it came out. But Creed is winning the fight on points the whole way through. Mm-hmm. And basically all he has to do is kind of like, box defensively and stay away from Rocky at the end of the fight, which is what his managers are telling him to do. But he's cocky. He's He's got something to prove. He's Mm -hmm. going in. And he gets knocked out by Rocky. So Rocky wins and becomes heavyweight champion of the world. And then Rocky 3, Rocky's the heavyweight champion of the world. He's rich. And there's some of that same thing where he's, like, grown soft. He's fighting, like, easy opponents. Mm -hmm. He's, you know, a celebrity. He's got a cushy life. They're putting up the statue to him and stuff. And Mr. T is like the tough street fighter. Mm -hmm. Clubber Lang, his name is. (laughs) Who's like taunting Rocky to give him a shot at the title. Right. And Mr. T beats him in the first fight, takes the title away from him. And then Rocky sort of has to go back to his roots and train. Fight to Get back in touch with his, you know, street level self. Right. For the rematch with Clubber Lang, that he again wins and you know regains his title in Rocky Three, <laughs> and that's where we are when we enter Rocky Four. Awesome. So, 
Oh, but here's what I forgot. Creed and Rocky become friends. Why? Um, I don't remember how it happens exactly, <laughs> but I know Mickey has a heart attack and dies during the first fight with Clubber Lang. Mm-hmm. And then somehow Apollo ends up taking over as Rocky's manager. I see. So. Magical black man. Yeah, I guess so. I guess we could say he becomes the magical black man, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's definitely going back to that scene where Mickey is um, at the apartment and they're having their argument and then Mickey leaves and Rocky's, you know, basically screaming the rest of the argument through the door. Right. And he's, like, you know, and saying again, you know, where were you when I needed help? That's, a, like, that's a really nicely played scene. It really is. And Rocky is just standing there not saying all of this stuff. Right. Because he's basically a nice guy. Right. He's basically a sweet guy. He's not going to yell at this old man in his his face. face. Right. But he's dying to. Yeah. And he waits till Mickey leaves. Right. And then he he blows up. But I like it. But he says, you know, my legs are shot. Like every, like I'm getting to the point where I'm not going to be able to do this at the level that I need to do it anymore. And now you want to come in and help me. So that makes the fact that he, I guess, quote unquote, loses at the end. You know, that's a believable ending. Mm-hmm. But it is not. That's not the ending that the white boxer is supposed to have. Right. It's He's not a, the fairy tale it is ending. Not the fa- right. Yes, he went the distance, but he didn't win he did decisively win right it's a moral victory and he also beat someone who hadn't been training apparently so that's the other thing of like if apollo had been working right if apollo had taken the fight seriously that could have been a totally different thing Mm -hmm. well and this is this is what i'm saying too about what happened to this franchise is that the first movie at least ends on a fairly realistic note and then that wasn't enough. Like, when we were going back for the sequels, right. it becomes more and more the fairy tale. It becomes more and more this sort of cartoonish mm-hmm. pandering to right. expectations right. and to what you've described as the <laughs> unconscious will of the white audiences. It's a powerful thing. <laughs> yeah, there's some interesting things happening in this movie. It's not overtly racist, but there's some... It's kind of complexly yeah, racist. Some, there's some subtle shit going on mm. there, which kudos to you, Stallone, for <laughs> writing something so complex. You seem surprised that Stallone could write anything at all. And that is on me. I am totally just judging him on yeah. his persona. I'm just like, I don't know. He wrote all of these movies, and he directed all of them except this one and Rocky Five, which Alvinson came back to do. Okay. So I will admit, when I have underestimated someone, you can be very eloquently racist. That's excellent. (laughs) Bravo. Okay, you wanted to talk about the actual boxing scenes. They weren't, I didn't, they weren't hitting. They weren't landing any hits. It's, It's one of those things where I wonder if it looked more convincing not in HD. Because I was watching the Blu-ray, it was pretty it was obvious like that nobody's punching anybody. It was so... I was just like, there's nothing happening. You're, <laughs> you're getting punched by wind at this point. There's n- there's no contact being made. In fact, in those early scenes of the fight, I thought it was supposed to be... Like that, a sparring thing? Yeah. That, like, Creed was, like, taunting him by, like, punching near his face. And then you realize, oh, no, he was supposed no. to be getting hit yeah. in those shots. Yeah. And it just wasn't even close. Yeah. It's like little kids playing gun where they go, bang, bang. (laughs) You've been shot. (laughs) But, you know, sign of the times. I think we're used to more brutal special effects and everything now that, you know. Well, and I saw the credits. It said that the fight choreography was Sylvester Stallone. So maybe that just isn't his, it's not his lane. Maybe he shouldn't be doing fight choreography. (laughs) 
Because <laughs> that was just, those were some... Well, that's, I think that's on the director, but yeah. Oh, maybe, yeah. All right, what haven't we talked about? So were you rooting for Rocky? I wasn't rooting against him. I kind of didn't care. I mean, he does have a shit life. You gotta, he does have a shit life. You gotta admit, they do a really good job of setting up this just shit life that they Rocky do. has. And yet he's still, you know, it seems to be a decent guy, and mm-hmm. he carries drunks into bars. And Yeah. There's a lot of what is known in the industry as pet the dog scenes. He, which and is he like, does literally pet some and dogs. And he does literally pet the dog. That was, by the way, the actual his actual dog that, that he, he sold. had sold and then bought back after he sold his screenplay. It's a cute dog. Uh, but yeah, those scenes that are there to establish that, oh, this is a nice guy. Except so he tells like that little girl that she's turtles. a whore. <laughs> There's a little slut shaming going on, but his intentions are good. If you keep using bad language, people are going to think you're a whore. <laughs> if you hang out on the corner. You're going to get a bad reputation as a whore. He just kept saying whore. I'm like, Please stop saying whore to that little girl. His intention was good. It was an avuncular kind of moment for Rocky. And she told Rocky. him to fuck off, as she should. <laughs> Contrasted with Adrian, who's, right. you know, the, basically a nun in the yeah. vet store. Until she takes her glasses off. <laughs> she comes into her own, though. In fact, Rocky has to kind of oh, push yeah. her I'm, away. I'm training, like, so, right, he's yeah. training. So well, because no you take nothing. the glasses off and all of a sudden we are nymphos <laughs> just pumping everything around. Okay. It's the glasses that keep us repressed. <laughs> yeah, I've often suspected that. Hair in a ponytail, glasses on. <laughs> All right, well, we didn't talk about the training montages at all. Well, I knew pretty much everything that happened was the eggs and the meats and mm. the running up the stairs. So that was pretty I- known. Iconic. I mean, it, it, it absolutely is iconic. And it probably informed training montages in films <laughs> moving forward. Uh, I wonder how many people like started drinking eggs. Disgusting. I don't know that that's actually a good idea. Yeah, no, I don't think that's, that's how you get salmonella. <laughs> okay, well, did you have a favorite part of the movie? Probably that scene between Rocky and Mickey would probably be my favorite okay. moment in the film. I just think they both did a great job acting that scene. I think it was sort of staged really well and really mm. effectively. I do think that scene and the scene between he and Adrian mm-hmm. are both really good scenes that kind of feel like they're in a different movie. Right. Like a more, a more realistic character drama. Right. Which, to be fair, this movie is for a surprising portion of its running time. Mm-hmm. Like, the actual fight is... Pretty short. It's the last, like, ten minutes or something. And yeah. again, I think the later movies, there's much more of the fight. Like, that's almost an afterthought in this movie. Yeah. Okay, were you actually, like, emotionally no. involved or moved was, or no. at any point? I or was not. Nope. Roused? I was not. Inspired? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I was not at all. No. Okay. Sorry. Okay, did you have a least favorite part of this movie? Uh, well, Uh-oh. got a little questionable between he and Talia Shire in the apartment. Just a little bit. Just I a mean, little friendly persuasion happening there. She literally said, I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> that sets off some flags for me. But let's face it, Adrian was never going to make the first move. I mean, she would have in her own time. I don't think so. What I'm saying is don't rush a lady to take off her glasses if she's not ready to take <laughs> off her glasses. I don't think I hated any part of it. Okay. So you liked it more than you were expecting to. Sure, it wasn't terrible. You found it more interesting than you expected to. The racism, yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's still, I mean, the sort of narrative that it was trying to tell, sure. A bit more nuanced than I was expecting it to be. Do you see why it's a beloved classic? I mean, I do. I mean, it. It obviously has 
iconic moments Mm -hmm. that are just, you know, indelible. So I absolutely understand why it is an American classic. And he is very much that sort of, you know, American hero. And I don't think particularly working class folks get heroes very often in that way. Yeah. Okay. Well, so are you looking forward to the next one? I am not. What do you mean? Because it's fucking Soviets, man. And I just... It's going to be all America rah-rah, and I'm not in the mood for that at You're all. You're making a lot of assumptions going That's into it. That's what it is. That's, whatever you have, an American fighting someone from, the, and this is Soviet Union era, like, that's what, what it is. Yeah, this uh, Rocky Four came out the same year as Top Gun, if that yeah. gives you any foreshadowing of Did what he, to like, expect. Did punch the wall down? Is that how the Berlin Wall came down? There's a Rocky little, punched it. There's a little bit of that, yes. Mm-hmm. Let's, yeah. I don't want to prejudice you again going into this, but... I'm already just over it all. Can I root for the Soviets? You can root. Clearly, you can root for whoever you want to root for. It's it's never who I think it's going to be, so you do you. Technically, I wasn't rooting for anyone in this one. I was rooting for Ali. That's who I'm rooting for. <laughs> okay, well, let's go uh, watch Rocky Four. Yay. The Soviet Union has officially entered professional boxing. This is not just an exhibition fight, but this is us against them. He would like to compete against anyone who is qualified. Drago is the most perfectly trained athlete ever. Whatever he hits, he destroys. He could have stopped the fight. He could have saved his best friend's life. I'll never forget you, Apollo. But now, the one thing he can't do is walk away. Has the fight date been set yet? December 25th. Where? It's in Russia. Are you nuts? Miss Balboa, when will you be going to Russia? I'm not going to Russia. I don't know what you're talking about. He's had one professional fight, and one man is dead. Tabibi, he's going to have to kill me. Why can't you change your thinking? Because I'm a fighter. You can't win! point nikia and i just watched rocky four and we are both pumped up on testosterone and reagan era patriotism i'm not (laughs) pumped up on either of those things how is that possible it was a terrible movie (laughs) it was pretty bad when you say terrible in the general definition understanding that we all have of terrible that's what i am talking about so in the Non-ironic, not yeah, exactly commonly just, accepted yes. as form we all of the understand word, terrible, terrible to the be. Definition. That is what I. That's what I mean. 
uh, what did you not enjoy about Rocky Four? I didn't enjoy any of it. I it took just about everything that was good about Rocky <laughs> One and just said, "Well, fuck that, and <laughs> we're not doing that anymore." Just toss it out the window and went a whole different way. So, and I don't know if there was there just a period in the '80s where movies decided that they were just basically music videos. Like, was that just a thing? Because this was that the same was, thing with, yeah. with Top Gun, where it's mm-hmm. just like you're just—it's a movie music video, really. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people blame Miami Vice for that trend, mm. but I think it was just a general '80s vibe. The '80s were awful. Let's face it; just everything <laughs> the about 80s, the '80s not everything was about the awful. '80s were awful. So yeah, I mean, story, no. Character, no. (laughs) Dialogue, no. Okay, well, so far, your critical assessment of Rocky IV seems to be in line with the general critical consensus. I don't see how it could go any other way, really. Uh, Roger Ebert gave it two stars. Generous. And said it represents almost everything that the original 76 Rocky Balboa would have found repellent, is what you just said. And then I like this review from Jason Bailey at FlavorWire. Rocky IV still stands not as a highlight of the series, certainly not that, but as a quintessential artifact of mid-80s studio filmmaking. Soulless, flag-waving, soundtrack-blasting product. Between the slender 90-minute running time, the montages and clips from other movies, and the written-in-a-weekend nature of the screenplay, it's about as cynical a motion picture as was made in that grotesquely cynical era. That's about right. I think the only thing they got right was the 90-minute runtime. It actually could have been shorter if they didn't... Well, it would have been shorter had if they cut they had... out the montages. Okay, oh. so let's talk about the montages. There are, and I did not do this math, other people have done this math, mm-hmm. there are eight montages running a total of 29 minutes and 10 <laughs> seconds. That is 32% of the running time of the entire movie is montage. The other 30 is just the fight with Ian Drago. <laughs> and then the other 30 is that weird-ass robot. And the montages, like, have scenes in them from, like, earlier montages. Right. From, like, two minutes ago, what we just yeah. saw becomes part of the next montage. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty egregious. <laughs> the one, I mean, the first one is probably the worst. And that is... Which one is the first one? Well, the first one that I sort of got annoyed with was after he tells he and Adrian have the argument back at the mansion. Ah, yes, About his his decision to go to Russia to fight Drago. Um, So he gets in his Lamborghini. That's the most Miami Vice-ish. The driving at night scene. And they literally play an entire, like, (laughs) six-minute song. And he's just driving, and then there are just montages, a montage of scenes from previous films, and then a montage of the scene we just left with he and Adrian on the staircase. So, I mean, yeah, it's definitely somebody got lazy in the writing. And yeah, it was like, it's I don't, ridiculous. I don't, can't really deal with dialogue right now. Let's just put him in a Lamborghini and basically let the song do the talking. And so then you get these really just terrible 80s synth songs that are standing in for dialogue. So the the lyrics are just very <laughs> on the nose and not subtle at all. And it's just... What do you mean? One of them has the... Lo- I think this is when he's training in uh, Siberia. Mm-hmm. There is the line, so much at stake are freedoms up against the ropes. Yes. That is some subtle musical... Two worlds collide. Rival nations. <laughs> it's a primitive clash. <laughs> Venting years of frustrations. What could we possibly be talking about there? We got to dig deep. Gotta excavate that. 
Okay. <laughs> that was Burning Heart for all those that would like to download it for later listening. As Nakia did. I did not. I looked at the lyrics because I knew they were ridiculous. Who wrote that? I didn't get the... It doesn't matter. It's okay, terrible. It doesn't matter. It's East versus West or man against man. <laughs> Can any nation stand alone? Wow. All right. I, how do we want to approach this thing? Where do you want to just want pick to an ending poll here? Sure. Well, I mean, the opening shot, that pretty much tells you what you're getting. Oh, the, yes, the the two boxing yeah, the, gloves. The Soviet Union, the glove with the Soviet Union in flag. slow motion. And then the, the boxing glove with the United States flag, and they explode <laughs> upon contact. <laughs> it's like reminiscent of the space race or something. They look like Sputnik sort of flying through the air. And thinking about the opening of... Rocky one, which was, you know, that fresco of Christ. So now, so, you know, it's, it's, it's the full circle of God and country here. Like we, we've, we've come full circle. Yeah, that was terrible. And that I should, we should have stopped it because that's enough, really. <laughs> that's that, that pretty much you did know tell you everything you needed what to know you're about getting. this movie. Uh, and then we have about three minutes and I don't even know if this is included in the montage. I mean, it, total. it was a montage. We have about three <laughs> minutes of scenes from Basically, it's the last three minutes of Rocky Three, right? In case anyone in case like you didn't all... see it, so it was well, nice. They were thinking of you, sure, or thinking of boxers who've been that. hit in the head a lot and don't remember things. So <laughs> let me remind you of what you just saw, just in case. And so then we get uh, Rocky pulling up to his mansion in his Lamborghini, and that's when we well, that's at least when I first see that he's obviously come up in the world mm-hmm. and has he's no longer a bum and is living happily with his son and Adrian and Polly. Which I was actually surprised that Polly was like Polly was an abusive asshole. Yeah, and when I, I have, left him, and I have not watched the the two intervening movies again either. I don't know when the redemption of Polly happened because Polly was a pr- Pretty he was a repulsive horrible person. character in the yeah. first movie. Like, I would not be having him up in my mansion, and I definitely would not be spending however much they spent on that damn robot. And not to jump ahead, but why the fuck he is taken on the trip to Siberia to help Rocky he's no train. Use. I think he's is... just, he, he, at some point in the sort of life of this series, he became comic relief. Because, uh-huh. like, he's just sort of dopey and he's falling down in the snow when they're in Siberia. Like, I think he just became comic relief and it was like, okay, the, you know, abusive drunk brother <laughs> was a little too dark. <laughs> Let's lighten that up a little bit. <laughs> Let's make it seem like he's having sex with a robot. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> All right. You clearly want to talk. We're, I guess we're at the robot. This is when, yes. right at the beginning of the movie. It's Paul's they, birthday. They bring the robot in. They bring, which is a weird gift to give a grown ass man. That's a that's an odd gift. It is. It was for Rocky's son, and I does Rocky's son have a name? Um, uh, probably. <laughs> I don't remember even him having a name. Anyway, but yeah, so Bullwinkle? I don't know. Sure. So yeah, I mean, it's a weird gift to get a grown man, and well, they they hang a lamp on that. I think Adrian makes the joke that it's because he doesn't have any actual friends, so right. they got him a sure a robot friend, sure that he then later programs to have a woman's voice. <laughs> And to bring him beer. And he threatens to have her wires tied. Her wires tied. tied. When she starts nagging him. Right. As women do. Sure. And that's a pretty advanced AI for the 80s. Like that robot was responding yeah. mm-hmm. pretty naturally in conversation. That was not really... I mean, that. That's some... That's miles ahead of probably where we are even now. So somebody should have probably got, you know, studied that. That's awesome. 
Okay, so there is apparently a story behind the robot. There better be. Uh, this was whoever the developer of this robot was had apparently touted its benefits for children with autism. Okay. The children with autism could relate to the robot and would interact with the robot. Mm-hmm. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. We don't need to. I feel like that might be offensive, get into but okay. That. Sure. <laughs> But Stallone's youngest son has autism. Okay. So that's how he became interested in the robot. And apparently he met this guy and was like, I'm going to write a part for the robot in my next movie. Was that just Stallone there? That, I don't know what that was. <laughs> I was. I've been punched in the head a few times too. So let's ignore Let's all pretend that didn't happen. Okay. But yes, he apparently said he was going to write a part in the movie for the robot. So this was like apparently, advocacy for autism. Okay. Yeah, except none of that's actually in the movie. <laughs> And there were apparently many, many more scenes with the robot in the movie that were cut. Yeah. There were scenes of, like, the robot's relationship with Polly. We I don't want to know more about that. that. I don't want to know more about that. I'm already uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't want to know any more about Whether that. we would have gotten bedroom scenes, I don't know. That's, you know what? The robot may have attachments that we don't know Ports. about. Yeah, I just, I don't want to think about that at all. You know who I like? Johnny Five. I'll stick with Johnny Five. <laughs> That's a problematic movie, too. We <laughs> really won't talk about that. Is. I didn't know that guy was an Indian. Yes, no, he's not at all. <laughs> Recently found that out, and then was like, oh, another one bites the dust. <laughs> so, yeah, that is apparently the story of the robot, and it doesn't stop here. And this is going to hurt you, I think. Oh, dear. This is going to upset you. Apparently, after this movie, James Brown toured with the robot. Oh, God, James. He was on a lot of coke. (laughs) He was on a lot of drugs. Oh, James. Oh. The robot became part of the James Brown. He, like, brings out James's cape and then. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh. He was on a lot of drugs. He really was. That's the only way I can explain that, is that you were, you were fucked up when you made that decision. Again, wasn't everybody in the 80s? That's... I mean... It's, you know... I guess. Bad music videos and cocaine. That's what the 80s was. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. <laughs> okay, and then we get to Drago. Drago. Tell me about Drago. I mean, there's nothing really to say about Drago. He's kind of a just slab of stone. <laughs> and actually, so... Did you know that Dolph Lundgren had, like, a Fulbright scholarship to MIT? I did not know that. He's like, like, <laughs> he has a degree in chemical engineering, um, a master's degree in chemical engineering, and he got a Fulbright to MIT. And he also dated Grace Jones. I, I think I knew he dated Grace Jones. That's the only part of that I knew. But I will honestly say, I think he gives the best performance in the movie. <laughs> what performance? I think he's kind of great. Sure. I guess it's all in the eyes. It, it is, because be. he has, like, only three lines of dialogue. Yeah. It's, you know, I'm not going to do impersonation. If he dies, he dies. If he dies, he, <laughs> right. So he says about three things like that right. throughout the movie. Right. But just watching his, like, reactions to everything, I think he gives the best performance in the movie. He's probably standing there thinking the whole time, bitch, I got a Fulbright. What <laughs> <laughs> the hell is this? So he's method, it's method acting. <laughs> he's using his actual reaction to this script. <laughs> Channeling it into right. Drago's disgust with the Western world. 
But yeah, so we are introduced to Drago, who apparently has the punching capacity of like eight times the normal yes. boxer. Which, as Roger Ebert pointed out in his review, would decapitate right? a person. <laughs> like, that should just be an impossible thing. If he's hitting yeah. you... First of all, they we, say his average, and we, we only see him hit something once, so that's not an average. <laughs> okay. Oh, math criticism. Sorry. <laughs> but then second of all... That the unenthusiastic statistician. I'm just, if you're going to use the word average, <laughs> just say he hits with this amount of PSI or whatever the hell the measurement is. But if that's what he's hitting, look, then he's going to punch your chest in. Like he's going to, you're, you're dead. <laughs> yeah. There's mm-hmm. no fight. Yeah. And we will talk about that last fight. But yes, that is absolutely true. Everybody he punches should be dead. And in fact, I read that at one point, and obviously I don't know anything about Dolph Lundgren's PSI. <laughs> But during the filming of this, apparently at one point, Stallone decided it would be a good idea to actually, like, punch each other or to take a punch or something. Mm -hmm. And Dolph Lundgren put Stallone in the hospital with one punch to the chest. That's when you get high (laughs) off your own myth. Like, don't do that. You're not for real a boxer. So don't do that. Mm-mm. Like damaged his heart, like yeah. the sack around his heart mm-hmm. filled up with fluid yeah. from one. I've been Rocky for five movies. I can do this. No, no, you can't. That's how Houdini died, man. No, you can't. Okay, so yes, Drago. Yes, and his Politburo handler there, <laughs> and his wife, and his, his wife, wife, who was of Brigitte. course Mrs. Sylvester Stallone when this movie was made. Oh, they were actually mm-hmm. yeah. okay, mm-hmm. or at least they were dating. I think they were married, but yes, okay. <laughs> So she sort of becomes the the friendly side of Drago. She's the spokesperson for Drago. Yeah. So Apollo sees that Drago has been, you know, announced as the sort of new contender to the throne and gets his panties all in a bunch. Yeah, because he's seeing another media opportunity just like he did the first time. It's all about that business. Um, And also his entire self-worth being about the boxing ring. Yes, as he and Rocky discuss a little later in a very deep and profound interaction. We're the warriors. (laughs) Without a war to fight, we might as well be dead. Yeah. Foreshadowing! One wonders, and we talked about in Top Gun, which came out the same year as this movie, mm-hmm. the Pentagon interference. I don't know what the Pentagon would have offered this movie, but I all it feels like it was made... It's edge of prop. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, there was a whole, his whole us versus them speech. Yeah. Was, you know, this is bigger... <laughs> Unless it's about, you know, fighting for America, even though it was really about his fear of getting old and becoming irrelevant. But but Rocky suggests to Apollo that, that maybe this fight is about, and I quote, use fighting use. Right. Because he's profound, really. <laughs> and again, the difference between the dialogue... Yeah. In the first one, and the, I'm just, like, did you just get lazy and you're just like, I'm just not interested in doing this anymore? Like, that was actually sort of a character study. He had actual conversations with people. There's very little dialogue, actually, in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's not a whole lot. So, yeah. I was just, there's there's just, there's no realism. No. There's none of that kind of gritty authenticity no. that the first one had. Adrian, who was such a great character in the first movie, she's like a real housewife of Philadelphia in this movie. She has no, there's no complexity to her at all. Right. Yeah, it's it's kind of tragic. It is. It is. But we had a cold war to solve. (laughs) So you got to do what you got to do. So Apollo announces that he's going to be the one to fight Drago. Even though Drago wants to fight Rocky because Rocky is the reigning, the actual heavyweight champion, right? 
they have this press conference where Apollo does what Apollo does, which is make a scene and make a spectacle and, you know, try to get people hyped about the product, Mm -hmm. right? And then we get what I find to be the most profound (laughs) bit of dialogue. Okay. Brigitte, you have this belief that you are better than us. Ah, yes. You have this belief that this country is so very good and we are so very bad. (laughs) You have this belief that you are so fair and we are so very cruel. And then the other Soviet guy is like, it's all lies and false propaganda (laughs) to support this antagonistic and violent government. And Pauly, in his wisdom, hey, we don't keep our people behind a wall with machine guns. Mm-hmm. That they should teach them. I mean, this is a very so- geopolitics. This is a very classes. sophisticated understanding really of the, the political issues involved it here, really the socioeconomic. Is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean that's all you need to know right there about what was going on during the Cold War. <laughs> okay. So then then we get pretty quickly to the fight. Because it's all people. And again, I mean, we talked in the first movie about how Apollo didn't really train for his fight with Rocky. We do not see him We don't see him train. And in fact, when they're going into the ring, somebody says to him, we don't know anything about this guy. And it's like, have you not even watched footage of this guy fighting or anything? Apparently, he went straight from his pool right. to go fight Drago yeah. after not fighting for five, five after years. being retired for five years. Mm-hmm. This is all going to work out very well. Yeah, it's a good idea. <laughs> well, I mean, because he had already booked James Brown. So <laughs> we can't, you know, reschedule. We got James. We got the whole fucking spectacle of it. And it's going to totally be great. <laughs> He's basically McBain's yeah. partner showing the photo of his boat exactly. to live forever to Rocky. Yeah. Mendoza! It's all just basically been a death edit <laughs> since he got out of the pool. <laughs> like, you're about to die, dude. Did you know, I mean, I know you knew he, that Apollo died in the ring. You mm-hmm. knew that from Creed. But yes. did you know that that's I did not know was... that that was the sort of impetus for Rocky fighting okay. Drago. You, I think you sort of picked up pretty quickly. Yes, that that's I mean, again, he got though. a death edit. Like it, 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 over his head, was like, "I'm dying! I'm dying! I'm dying! I'm making bad choices, and I'm going to die because of it." Can we also? Can I not see another movie where something is coming up out of the floor? <laughs> I. <laughs> So they have Drago in some sort of basement area. Yeah. And then the the arena opens yeah. and he comes up out of the floor as if some demon from hell. <laughs> what is the obsession with shit coming out the floor? Apparently the retractable floor union in Hollywood is very powerful. Like that's a lot and of money. They need to, to have do at least shit. one retractable floor in every movie. Just have him be. So there. the same guys that built Goldfinger's map built this. I just don't understand. <laughs> See an earlier episode, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about. See episode, whatever episode that was, for this reference. The Goldfinger episode. But yes, so I'm I'm done with that. I don't want to see anything else coming out of the floor. Because I feel like it's totally unnecessary. Now it's just my goal to just find as many movies as I can. I feel like you spent a lot of money creating this whole pulley system, and it's, it's unnecessary. Well, there was a lot that was unnecessary about the setup for this fight. Yes, we have. And again, this is why I fucking love Dolph Lundgren's performance because I just he rises up and he's looking around and he's like, "What?" That is good. He is is definitely looking like this is insanity, right? So they're in Vegas and it is Vegas turned to like fifty thousand with the showgirls and the glittery outfits. Some of them dressed as Lady Liberty, (laughs) and Apollo's coming down from the sky. 
with a golden calf or something. A giant bull. Yeah, something I don't know what that was. Weird idolatry going on there. <laughs> and he's in his glittery spangled Uncle Sam outfit. Uh-huh. And then James motherfucking Brown <laughs> and his entire 40-piece band is there performing fucking Living in America. And, and Apollo's just dancing around. Once again, in its entirety. In its entirety. The entire song plays Which, out. Which, I love James Brown. That is not his best song. I do. Live, is really isn't. It just isn't. So I don't need to hear. That's late period, James. It is. And again, cocaine. But, like, I don't I don't need it. The perm looked good, though. He had that perm, man. The hair was on point. The hair was laid. Like, James always had his shit together. Even on cocaine. But we didn't need to hear that whole song. And the whole time you're looking at Drago, who's just sort of dumbfounded right. by this ridiculousness, and you're just like, oh, I mean, he's about there, to kill you. There is a sense in which this movie is even, even-handed even towards... Because you understand why they hate yes, us in this yes. movie. Yes, it's very vulgar yes. and just excessive Americanism. <laughs> Jingo is... It's just... It's all there. Everything that you would hate, that a, a foreigner would hate about America, it is all... Yes. It's a disgusting display. <laughs> and then he gets his heart punched out. <laughs> Not quite literally. Basically. <laughs> it's like on Mortal Kombat where they're like, finish him! And he's like, boom! <laughs> he, he was murdered in the ring, so... If he dies, he, he dies. dies. I mean, gee, fucking Fulbright. That's, a, that's amazing. <laughs> and Rocky doesn't stop the fight. Right, because Creed, Creed's wife is yelling to stop the fight. In all his Duke, the other trainer, brain damaged mind is saying, "Don't stop the fight for any reason." Right. Mm-hmm. You're just gonna die in front of your wife right now. And in reality, the refs would have stopped this fight. Here's the thing: I would have stopped the fight when they did the thing where they like touch gloves <laughs> and Drago's all like steal with his shit. I'm like tapping out. I'm done. <laughs> That's cool. That's okay. Keep your wall, bitches. That's totally fine. I'm going to have my McDonald's over here. You can do whatever you want to do over there. That's not my business. So that's when I personally would have been like, fuck that. I think... There is a moment of realization. You see it in his eyes where he's like, oh, shit. And I don't know if it's really there, but in my mind, at least, there's like a metallic sound effect when he does that. When he hits Drogo's hands and Drogo's hands don't move. So see, that's the robot. You see the parallels here? Do you see the, the layers? On yes, which, what I'm saying is we don't got the fight robot, the robot and then Drago. Don't fight the robot. Respect the robot. Be like, that's a fucking robot. And then you go back to be happy. You can buy jeans and shit. You can listen to whatever music you want. Like, why are we Why are we doing this? It's unnecessary. <laughs> You don't need to do it? It's not your war? <laughs> when did he become the fucking Khaleesi with all those names when they announced Creed? <laughs> the master of disaster, like, the breaker of chains. When did all of this shit happen? Count of Monte Fisto, like which, much. if that is not the sequel to Stallone's porno movie, Ooh. I don't... That's a wasted opportunity. A the Count one. of Monte Fisto, come on. That's a really on. good one. That would be a good one. <laughs> you could have the robot involved somehow. <laughs> It's a weird-ass movie, dude. <laughs> There's also no doctor unseen here. Well, Stallone when Apollo is twitching for a on doctor. the mat. There's like 400 people gathered around. Taking photos. And they're just in this sort of, you know, messianic pose of he's holding a dying Apollo. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 
face up. So they rolled him over. You probably yeah. shouldn't have rolled him over because like, his entire spine no. was pulverized no, was at that dead. point. He was deceased before he hit the, the tarmac there. He was gone. <laughs> he was dead. Okay. So, I, I mean, I don't... To try to carry a conversation from one from the first movie to this movie is almost ridiculous. But do you have any final thoughts on Apollo Creed and his representation of America and all of that that we talked about in the first movie? I mean, so, and I think we see this happen in a lot of film around this time is, you know, the the sort of villain changes depending on who our enemy is right. at any point. So the, the enemy, the primary enemy becomes the Soviet Union. Right. And black people sort of take... A little step back. So what you do is you, you know, you wipe them out with the crack cocaine epidemic and Reaganomics, <laughs> and then you can go deal with the Soviets. So that's what's happened. It's like, okay, we got the black people I, taken I care see. of mm-hmm. by totally, you know, right. plundering their communities. And then we're going to go fight the Soviets. Right. Creed could not be the representation of America going no. up against the Soviets. No, absolutely he's, not. You know, he's not good enough. We no. need the, the white working you need class. the great white hope. Hero. Right. Yep. And that's what we get. Mm-hmm. Rocky decides then and there that he is going to avenge the death of his mentor, former foe. And he says, so we get we get the scene at the funeral mm-hmm. where Rocky gives his little speech from behind. A very his sparsely attended funeral sunglasses. for somebody. Yeah, so there were like famous. twelve people yeah. at that funeral mm-hmm. for Muhammad Ali. That mm-hmm. was basically Muhammad Ali's funeral. Yeah. There were about twelve people there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but he starts talking about what Apollo stood for, what he lived for, what he died for. I never understood it, but now I understand it. What does he understand? Something about, like, going your own way or something, I think he says. Yeah, that's what he says. What is the fuck does that mean? I don't know. Ask Fleetwood And Mac. what about... You can go your own way. <laughs> okay, we don't have rights to that, oh. so don't do that. <laughs> but what part of Apollo getting his head knocked off like a rock'em sock'em robot has suddenly made Rocky understand his life philosophy? I mean, I guess the idea that Apollo was fighting for something. What? America? No. <laughs> He said that he was fighting. It was an us versus them thing, and it has to be. We have to show that you know Americans. I think are you're just quoting the song. The now. best I probably am, but that's really all they've given me. Um, so I think that that's what it was. I don't. I mean, I don't think it was probably that for Rocky. I think at that point he was just trying to avenge the death of his friend, mm-hmm. who he believed was trying to stand up for something greater. Okay. So sure, maybe. <laughs> Okay, so yes, a lot of stuff happens at this point in the movie off screen, because apparently we had to make room for all those montages, so the yeah. actual plot development we got no room for. No. Uh, there was apparently a scene originally that explained that the Boxing League refused to sanction a fight between Stallone mm-hmm. and Drago, and that if Rocky wanted to fight him, he was going to lose his heavyweight crown mm-hmm. to do that. They do. They they refer to it. right. Yeah. They say, "Oh, Rocky gives up." They right. don't, they don't explain why he has to do that to yeah. go fight Drago or anything. They skip over all of that. And Adrian knows nothing about this plan. No, she finds out on the stage until after the press conference that she didn't even know the press conference was happening. Mm-hmm. So Rocky, at some point, was like, "Hey, I'm going to go out and get a pack of cigarettes," and just went off and had had a press conference. We decided to go to Russia. And she rightfully tells him when he gets home, you're going to lose. (laughs) You can't win. Maybe don't do this. And that's when we get the Lamborghini montage. And he says the comforting words to her, to beat me, he's going to have to kill me. Which is just what you want to hear from your husband after you've just come home from the funeral of a guy to whom that literally happened. So then we're off to Moscow (laughs) with Pauly. And it is not long... Before we are back into a montage. (laughs) Several montages. 
<laughs> in a row. Jesus. We get the training. We get at least two. There are two training montages, training montages. With the there's a scene in between of Adrian showing up, having forgiven him, and decided to stand by his side, right. for no reason. And then we move right. Back That's into the, the only montage. scene that comes between two nearly identical <laughs> training montages. But they're important because what they're showing you is that you know Drago has Soviet Union and communism and the collective mm-hmm. versus American individualism. So right. Drago has the whole team of scientists and all the machines and the technology rocky is alone except for his kgb tail running through the snow (laughs) sawing logs throwing boulders dragging Polly on a sled and that's where we also realize that surprisingly drago's doping up (laughs) yeah that did come as a surprise that's not all him (laughs) he may be getting a little bit of assistance that's also when apparently rocky basically climbs fucking mount everest (laughs) In like 10 minutes and does the whole, you know, like he did on the steps of the Philadelphia Museum of Art kind of thing while growing a Dr. Zhivago beard. And I just, (laughs) sure, why the fuck not? The best part, I think the sort of brilliant piece of filmmaking is they contrast the scene of Drago sparring with someone in the ring and he knocks the guy out. And he falls down, and then we cut to Rocky, who has chopped a tree down, and you see the tree falling down. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Wonderfully Somebody done. was very proud of thinking of that one and editing that done. together. This movie is like somebody just discovered the star wipe effect on in PowerPoint. And it's just like, <laughs> gotta use it. Gotta use it. I know how to do montages. I know how to do freeze frames. I know It's just, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> At the end, you get the sort of disembodied hands punching faces, and there's, so there's like a like a clip after clip of that. It's just yes, like somebody just superimposed right. over each other. Somebody yes, just I discovered that. these things and are very excited to use it. Okay, so let's let's go back to these training montages though, because I think I like the little insidious message of it. Which again, it it's like some intern at the Pentagon wrote this movie mm-hmm. because the. Can we call it subtext if it's just right there on the surface? The text of it is that Rocky is the true representation of, like, the proletariat and the Russian spirit. He's the one that's out there in Siberia. Eating beets. Pulling horses out of holes. And bench-pressing boulders and shit. (laughs) The low-tech. And it's all been, like, corrupted right? back in Moscow, where Drago is in this high-tech, high roided-up regimen. So we get to the big fight. Yep, because we've padded this out as much as we can. There's no story to this for. movie. This is what everybody came for, was the big showdown. The arena is definitely different mm-hmm. than the Las Vegas exhibition arena. Yes. It is very Soviet. It is very standing in line for your rations. <laughs> And we have the, you know, illustrious Politburo with the Gorbachev stand-in. I believe he's supposed to be Gorbachev. I believe it is supposed to be Gorbachev, <laughs> who, had, who had just recently come into power. So this was, you know. A big get. Yeah. And the sort of banner of Drago. Drago as the Russian national yeah. anthem, the Soviet national anthem, please. It was maybe Miss Vegas. <laughs> 
And everybody's booing Rocky. Yeah. And screaming for Drago. Mm-hmm. And the fight does not go well in the beginning. It does not. He's pretty much getting his ass kicked the entire time. Yes. And as many people have commented, both boxers, but really the problem is Rocky's. There is no defense happening in this fight. No. Like, Rocky is just getting punched in yeah. the head. Well, this, uh, my argument is He doesn't that, even put yeah. his hands up to block his face. He's just getting punched in the head. And he should be dead about 314 <laughs> times in this fight. Rocky is not a good fighter. I think he can just take a punch. And he <laughs> basically tires his opponent out. He's like Homer Simpson. Exactly, on that when he's fighting the bums the and stuff. Yeah, right. it's like you can take a punch and yeah. the guy's going to get tired, and then you hit him when he gets tired. <laughs> That's basically Rocky's whole. MO. He is like iron, Rocky <laughs> says. After getting like hit twice, it's a little bit of cut by his eye, and now you're intimidated by the. No. You're like six foot two. Your reach is ridiculous. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to come back to it again. Best actor of 1985, Dolph <laughs> Lundgren. The first time he gets tagged, there's a little look of surprise in his eyes. Like, and it is, it's that moment of the bully who you hit him once and then he starts crying. Right. And he, like, there's a little hint of that in Drogo's reaction to getting tagged the first time. You're saying this is the most subtle internal performance. Absolutely. Hands down. Yeah. Him, him and the robot. <laughs> They should just do a movie together. (laughs) Can we talk about the fact that after getting punched in the face by 3,000 pounds of pressure, like 200 times in this fight, Rocky has like one small cut above his eye and a little blood. Mm -hmm. Like, again, just the realism. The first movie, his face was pulverized. He had to cut his eye. In this movie, they both at the end of this fight look fine. They look pretty good. Yeah. Maybe His eyes isn't swollen up. Nothing is going... Yeah. Like, it's just... Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. Again, considering he was going up against a machine. Right. That just should not have been the case. Yeah, so they go round after round. Mm-hmm. Eventually, Rocky gets some licks in. He starts sort of getting his wind up and fighting back. The KGB handlers are getting upset. Getting a little nervous. They're like, the American is small and weak. Why is this taking you so long? Yes. Which, again, it shouldn't because he punches like a fucking freight train. Yeah. So it really shouldn't be taking very long. His arms are, like, also twice as That's long as Rocky is, is tall. Yeah. Rocky should never get anywhere near him. So, yeah, this is not a believable fight. But because Rocky is showing such grit and determination, <laughs> the political seas change. Yes, we start hearing the crowd chanting for Rocky's Rocky. name. <laughs> Which which has never happened anywhere (laughs) in the world that this kind of turn in the part of the loyalties of a hometown crowd and a fucking Soviet Union. Are you fucking kidding me? With Gorbachev looking down, like no, yeah, no. That's just how plucky the American is. Okay, sure. (laughs) So it's getting tense. And they're starting to doubt their their homeboy. Mm-hmm. Gorbachev comes over and is like, dude, why is this taking you so long? You're an embarrassment to this fucking nation. They're chanting for Rocky. We paid a lot of money yeah. for this. Mm-hmm. Drago, being the diplomat that he is, picks Gorbachev up by the neck. No, it's not Gorbachev. It's his handler. Oh, yes. well, Gorbachev's handler <laughs> right. picks him up by the neck and flings him out. Yeah. And Which, I don't even know if you can pick somebody up when you're wearing boxing gloves. You don't have a lot it's of... Impressive. It's impressive. Yeah. I mean, he's a freak of nature, so he yeah, can do whatever handed, he wants that to would... do. He can just... It's fine. He has a Fulbright. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I forgot about the Fulbright. And then says, the most anti-communist thing ever, mm-hmm. I fight 
for me. Yes. Yes. He See, he too has been converted to the American way. It's not very communist. <laughs> it's not very collective. It's not cool, dude. No, and he... Haven't given up his country, basically. Yeah, mm-hmm. Will spend the rest of his life in a gulag somewhere. <laughs> Rocky finally wins the fight. Yeah. And everyone is thrilled at that fact. Gorbachev gives the handler a dirty look, like, how did you let this happen? So that guy's not long for no, the world either. they're all, yeah. But they all end up giving him a, giving Rocky a standing ovation. <laughs> well, that's, then comes the speech. Rocky's profound speech. Draped in the American flag. <laughs> if I can change, and you can change, everybody can change. I, I have a question. Yes. Who changed and what? Nobody changed. <laughs> Nobody changed. <laughs> I mean, the crowd decided to cheer for Rocky. That was a change. How did Rocky change? Rocky didn't change. Okay. Well, I guess he said he liked them a little bit more than he did before. When they were booing him. And then they liked him. And they started cheering for him. And then he started liking them. Right, because they were cheering cheering for him. him. So that's... Which is a very American thing. I mean, I guess that's a change. It's not a very... It's not a... It's not a... a, You know... Profound. Leave communism behind sort of change. But it is a change, I guess. Drago changed, I guess, because Drago's... I don't know that Drago changed. Drago was always about him his damn self. Drago's just like, all right, dude. And then the wall came down. Well, yes. This is how the Cold War ended. That's why you needed to see this movie, because I never felt you really understood how the Cold War ended. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, you know, four years later that the Berlin Wall came down, but this was really the moment that it became inevitable, is when Rocky beat Drago and won over the crowd. Because unlike the Iron Curtain, Rocky doesn't fall. (laughs) Yes! No, that wasn't really. That didn't really work (laughs) as well as you think it did. It, I honestly, in all seriousness, I do find this very sad. Well, it's definitely sad when you go from Rocky One, yes, to, and maybe it's different when you've seen them all. You know, well, I think I think it is a steady degradation from Rocky One to Rocky Four. You know, it's like the the frog in the pot of water or whatever. Like Mm -hmm. it's just so you don't notice that it's getting horrible, but the sort of stark difference between Rocky One and Rocky Mm -hmm. Four. And sort of the same thing happens with the Rambo movies. I haven't seen any of and I, I, And I think we will watch First Blood at some point um, for this project. And I don't, I certainly don't want to overstate the artistic merit of First Blood. Mm-hmm. But it, in the same way, it has this kind of sort of gritty integrity to it. It's mm-hmm. about a somewhat psychotic uh, Vietnam veteran who's having trouble adjusting to coming back home mm-hmm. and ends up in this situation and it's like i said it's not it's not an artistic masterpiece but it does have a certain authenticity and a certain integrity to it right and then those movies just become he becomes gi joe right. shooting rockets from rocket launchers and rescuing bow's in vietnam like he becomes a cartoon figure right that's what happens to that series and i just i don't i don't understand it i don't know how that happens you know movie styles and aesthetics change with the times and if in the 80s, what was selling were these sort of action-heavy, character-light, music-heavy films, and that's what you're going to do. And there is probably some pressure to take the sort of scrappy little underdog. You make him a hero, then he has to become a bigger hero. Like, he can't just be... Mm-hmm. He has to become superhero now. Right. And so it just has to get more and more ridiculous and outlandish and it gets further away from, you know, any sense of like reality or grounding. So that, I mean, that may be why 
Now, to be fair, um, and I have, I don't know that I've seen all of Rocky Five, and I haven't seen any of Rocky Six in common with a lot of people. I don't think a lot of people saw those movies. Mm -hmm. They were not as big as the first four were. Mm -hmm. But Rocky Five, I think Rocky has brain damage. And I think Polly has, like, embezzled all his money, so he's broke. And he ends up, like, he and Adrian end up moving back to Skid Row, basically. Oh, okay. Wow. Um, and I think he becomes kind of like Mickey to another young boxer. Mm -hmm. So that, I don't think the movie was good, but I think it was at least an attempt to get back right. to... What the first To take was. the character back more to what the first movie was. Right. Um, and then I don't know what the hell happens in Rocky Six. <laughs> I know he fights again somehow, even though he's sixty, he's sixty years old at that point. Okay, so what's your uh, <clears throat> final takeaway from this experience? How did you enjoy the Rocky movies? Um, I mean, the first one was fine. I can see the sort of value of the first one as a sort of like indie character story. The fourth one is just <laughs> it's a fucking joke. It really is just sort of. Propaganda for American exceptionalism, um, because he literally defeats an undefeatable opponent. There's a, there's some when they when he and um, Drago are about to fight. The sports commentators are sort of giving some background, um, and one of them says something like, "You know, this is like a David versus Goliath thing." Mm -hmm. And so again, it's this sort of American idea of itself as an underdog. Right. When in reality, you are very much a superpower at the geopolitical table. Right. You were then, you are now. So, again, it's just, so just, you know, setting up this sort of really false narrative. But that's who we always want to be. That's, we always yeah, want to be the plucky underdog. We always want to be the plucky underdog. We always want to be the rebel. We always want to be Maverick <laughs> going up against the faceless, soulless enemy. Yeah. Yeah, I just wasn't a fan of the fourth one. <laughs> really was it? It's not a good movie. You keep saying that. Because it just isn't. It really isn't. All right. Any final thoughts about Rocky Four? I will not be continuing on in the Rocky series. Have... Well, the Rocky series is now the Creed series. Right. Well, and you will be seeing fair. the Creed yes, movies. That's absolutely right. Yes. See, I, I, I almost I think feel, of them as a separate thing. I feel fairly certain we can count on if Stallone is in the next Creed movie, he's going to die. Rocky's going to die in it. Well, he was sick. He had He cancer. was sick in the first right. Creed movie. Yeah. Right. And he didn't die in that one. Mm -hmm. So... I think we can pretty much count on... Maybe he will beat cancer. <laughs> he's not, he's not going to beat cancer. He is the Great White Hope who will beat <laughs> cancer. Great White Hope with great white cells. <laughs> okay, that one was pretty good. <laughs> I'll give you that one. <laughs> That's our show. Thanks for listening. And we hope you'll join us again next week as we celebrate the 50th anniversary of Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yay. <laughs> I heard it's ponderous. <laughs> Beautiful, but ponderous. There are people who find it a little slow, but fortunately it's only three hours long. So See, I think you should be that's not the right word. You don't use only when you're saying three hours. That's... Or fortunately. Or fortunately. Those are not the words I would use. 
In the meantime, you can find us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com. Follow us on Twitter at Free Range Critic. Send an email to michael at unaffiliatedcritic.com. Or leave a comment for us on iTunes. In any of these places, we encourage you to suggest a movie that Nakia desperately needs to see to make her life complete. Until next time, remember, true love means making your partner watch movies they really, really don't want to watch. You have convinced me, though, that Drago is an amazing actor. Yeah. So. I, I may need to check out some more of the Dolph Lundgren Well, didn't we find catalog. out that he did uh, He-Man, which was a personal favorite yes, cartoon he did do of He-Man. mine? Mm-hmm. So I may have to check him out around <laughs> He-Man. I have never watched that movie, I confess. <laughs> I'm sure it's awful. Maybe it would be fun for us to do that. I'm sure it's just terrible. Because the cartoon is ridiculous in and of itself. Um, yeah, I never, I think the cartoon was after my mm-hmm. time, so I don't have any I was big on He-Man and She-Ra. To the, that was, to the cartoon that was, either, that was my, so. That was my shit there. But he has Fulbright. Yes, you keep mentioning that. Because that's fucking, I don't I know mean, what he's doing with it, maybe he's. I mean, why do you have to do something with it? You can just go around saying, I got a Fulbright, bitch. <laughs> and I dated Grace Jones. I mean, really, if you can do two things in your life, get a Fulbright and date Grace Jones. I think it's probably too late for me on both of those counts. <laughs>